Let's turn together now to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, and we're in our new series, God is Great, and we're delighting in these glorious attributes of our God. And it's an important series. What could be more important than you and I gaining a full and accurate picture of God himself? What could be more important than that? A.W. Tozer in his classic book, The Knowledge of the Holy, famously wrote this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you agree with that? Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So it's crucial that our concept of God corresponds with who God actually is. Because if not, we've become idolaters. If not, if we're not thinking of God in the correct ways, we've come up with some inferior counterfeit God of our own making, a God who can't help us, a God who can't save us. So this series is a great opportunity for us to look at the scriptures and to understand who God actually is. Make sure that your personal concept of God is aligned with what the word of God says. Now, let's acknowledge early in this series that in many ways, God is incomprehensible. So we understand we are finite and God is infinite. And we're going to do well to to read the scriptures and learn a lot about him, but we're not going to come away saying, I understand everything there is to understand about God. It's not possible for us. In fact, for instance, when we talk about love, the love of God coming up in a week to come, we talk about his love. We're going to learn a lot about his love, but we wouldn't say at the end of our talk that, well, now I understand everything there is to know about the love of God. There's no way we'll hit the depths of how great God's love is. And likewise today, as we talk about his holiness. But aren't you glad, even though God is incomprehensible, he's infinite, we're finite. Aren't you glad that God has chosen to reveal himself to us? He wants to be known by us. He wants to make himself known. Aren't you glad that God is a God who speaks and we have his word where he is revealing himself? And aren't you glad God became flesh and dwelt among us? That in the person of Christ, we can see what God's like. We can see how God moves among people. Now, last time we were in Exodus chapter 15, that great occasion of the parting of the Red Sea, the deliverance of the children of Israel. And we saw there, God is great. God is great in power. We saw that God is a warrior and that God even has a name. And we saw that special name, that revered name of God, Yahweh. Well, today I have us in Isaiah 6. And the glorious attribute of God we're going to talk about today is his holiness that we just sang about as well. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Notice with me first that God reveals his holiness and his glory to Isaiah. I love this. This is God's initiative. It wasn't that Isaiah got up that morning and said, I'm going to go have this great encounter with God. I'm going to make it happen. This was all on God's side. I'm going to give Isaiah a glimpse at my holiness, a glimpse at my glory. And 
Then Isaiah was led by the Spirit to write it down. And he tells us when this happened. He said, in the year of King Uzziah's death. So in the mid-700 uh, B.C., mid-century uh, 700 B.C., he had this encounter. That's when Uzziah died. He said, I saw the Lord. And he tells us, tells us now what he saw. I saw him sitting on a throne. That's significant because a throne is a place of kings. And that's indeed who God is. A throne is a place for a judge. And indeed, God is that as well. He said, I saw him lofty and exalted. And he says, the train of his robe was filling the temple. Another way of describing God's splendor and his greatness and his majesty. But Isaiah was not the only one with this encounter with the holiness of God that day. There are these angelic beings here, these seraphim there, these amazing six-winged angelic beings. They're also witnessing this. Notice their posture. They're, they're proclaiming his holiness, but did you notice they're covering their faces with one set of wings. They're awed themselves by this holy God. And with two wings, they're covering their feet. Also another way of saying, he's holy. He's in a class all by himself. But notice three elements of their praise. First of all, they could not keep quiet about the holiness of God. Like we just sang, they said, holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew language, that's how you would denote a superlative. So he's not just holy. God is holy, holy, holy. God is all the way holy. God is the holiest. He's totally and completely holy. So we talk about holiness, we're talking about God's character, that he is pure and absolutely pure. God is good and completely good. He's other than us. That's another way that holiness communicates. He's separate, set apart from everybody else. There's a similar scene that John records from the book of Revelation, Revelation 4.8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Let's pause here. Let's say it. God is great. And God is great in his holiness. This attribute of holiness reverberates throughout all the scriptures. Psalm 99, verses 1 through 5. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion, and he's exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Here it is again. Holy is he. Do you remember in the book of Exodus? When the children of Israel were told to build a tabernacle, it was where God was going to meet with them on the earth. And, and there was a holy place. And then there was the most holy place. God said, it's going to be in the most holy place that I will meet with you. He is most holy. He's all the way holy. Has to be separate from the common. Certainly has to be separate from the sinful. Also reading in the book of Exodus, do you remember those occasions where Moses would meet with God on the mountain, but God would warn, nobody else can even touch this mountain lest they die. You have to stay away. God was protecting people from his pure holiness. But oh, don't you love it now through Jesus Christ? In the new covenant, we don't have stay away. Because of the cleansing that Jesus makes in the life of the believer, we're told in James 4, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. But God is holy these angelic beings are crying out about his holiness, but they also talk about his glory. 
And it's not just the temple that's filling with his glory in this vision that Isaiah is having, but the whole earth is full of his glory. The train of his robe fills the temple, but his glory is filling the entire earth. Let's define glory a second. God's glory refers primarily to his majestic beauty and splendor. It also refers to the expression of God's character. So just as God's holiness sets him apart from everything else, so does the glory of God. It sets him apart. You know this verse, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. His glory sets him apart. Scriptures describe his name as glorious in Nehemiah 9.5. He's called the king of glory in Psalm 24. He's called our glorious father in Ephesians 1.17. The heavens declare his glory, Psalm 19. So God brings glory to himself. He displays his glory, but he won't share that glory with anybody else. And so when we gather to worship like we're doing now, we've come to praise and give glory in only one direction. It's all glory to him, all praise to him. We acknowledge his majesty, his splendor above anybody else. In fact, this is one of the, one of the defining marks and one of the proofs of the deity of Jesus Christ, that he would speak of sharing the Father's glory. John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and here it is, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Or Hebrews 1, 3, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. John Piper talks about this relationship between the holiness of God and the glory of God. He says it well, let me read this to you. He says, the glory of God is the manifestation of his holiness. God's holiness is the incomparable perfection of his divine nature. His glory is the display of that holiness. God is glorious means that God's holiness has gone public. His glory is the open revelation of the secret of his holiness. In Leviticus 10.3, God says, I will show myself holy among those who are near me and before all the people I will be glorified. When God shows himself to be holy, what we see is glory. The holiness of God is his concealed glory and the glory of God is his revealed holiness. So these angels that Isaiah is seeing as he's seeing God on the throne, they're crying out about how holy God is. And they also are proclaiming how glorious God is. And then they say this, they describe God as the Lord of hosts. And that word hosts is a military term. Literally, you could translate this, he's the Lord of hosts armies. Some translators just simply say he's almighty God. And so we'll talk about that in the weeks to come, how God is omnipotent. God is undefeatable. That's how awesome God is. So, so when you come to worship, is this the God you come to worship? When you meet with God daily in prayer and in the word, is this the God that you meet with? A God who is holy, 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 a God who is glorious, a God who is great in power. Is this the one that you meet? When you worship, you need to understand that God is great in all of these ways. And our worship leaders, that's our job is to point to him like this. So Chip and the guys just led us in worship. And, and you notice they weren't wanting any glory for themselves. It's all like the seraphim here. He is holy, holy, holy. He is glorious. Let's praise him together. And likewise, anyone who stands and teaches the word of God doesn't want any attention. 
It's all about him. We're all pointing. He's the glorious one. He's the one that we should praise. And all of us should reject any notion of a small, weak, counterfeit God. Now, notice this. Isaiah doesn't just witness this encounter with God in the temple, but he responds to it. So the first thing we've seen is this, that God revealed his holiness and glory to Isaiah. But catch this. Isaiah responds with awe and confession. Now, we're going to see here that Isaiah was thrilled at this revelation of God to him, but he's also terrified. He, was, he thought he was going to lose his life because he's in the presence of this holy, glorious God. Let's notice it here. He says, verse 5, Then I said, Woe is me, for I'm ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He is in all. Do you ever think about what it's going to be like when you enter into heaven that day when you go to meet the Lord? Do you ever think about that? What's it going to be like in those first moments? I, I think we're going to be struck by the holiness of God like this. I think our experience is going to be a bit like Isaiah's in the sense of being awed by him. It seems that the songs of heaven reverberate with this idea of the holiness of God. John speaks of it in the book of Revelation. Isaiah speaks of it here. That's just the theme of the worship because he is just so set apart and other and better than anything else. Please, when you think about your first moments in heaven, I hope it's not fishing. We've heard people do that. Oh, Paul, he's fishing right now. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, now, I don't know that whether or not they'll be fishing on the new earth. Maybe there will be, but really, who cares? I don't think we're going to be interested in any of our hobbies in the presence of the holiness of God. Please, nothing lesser than that. Look at Isaiah. He's not thinking about anything. Nothing else would be worthy to bring into the conversation other than, oh, oh, you are so different. You are so holy. Isaiah's thought is this, oh, my holy. God is so holy. I never knew how holy he is. He can see right through me. This God is amazing. Remember John in the Revelation that God gave him when he saw the glorified Jesus. This is Revelation 117. This is the response more likely. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. That's all. When you can't even stand in the presence of such greatness dropped to his face. So, so here's Isaiah seeing God in all of his holiness. He's in awe, but then it leads him to confession. In the presence of God, you and I see ourselves more clearly. Here's Isaiah. He's immediately humbled. He sees his infinite sin in the presence of God's infinite holiness, and he feared for his life, and he yearned for a cleansing. Notice the words here. Woe is me, for I am ruined. He's simply saying, I'm doomed. That word here, here's the idea, I'm destroyed. Woe is me, I'm, I'm destroyed. I cannot stand in the presence of God in all of his holiness and power and glory. Then he tells us why he's so concerned. He says, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. So he, he confesses his sin. We might ask the question, why is he worried about his lips? Because he would have sinned like all of us in lots of other ways as well. But, but perhaps he's worried about his lips because he knows here are these angelic beings, they're singing of his holiness Isaiah would have had the sense, I'm not even worthy to utter anything to him. I can't even join the song. I can't even join in, in exclaiming, I agree he's holy, 
but, but I'm so dirty I can't even sing about it. I'm, I'm doomed, I'm destroyed. Then he says this, because I live among a people of unclean lips. What's that about? Is this Isaiah shifting the blame? Is this like sometimes we do? Well, everybody's got this problem, so it can't be that big a deal. That's not Isaiah. I think he's another way of expressing the holiness of God. I have unclean lips, and I'm thoroughly unclean, and everybody I know, the whole nation of us, we're unclean. We're, we're all separate from you, and you are distinct in your holiness. What, what are we going to do? And then notice this. God had mercy on him. I love this. Verses 5 through 7. So verse 5 again. Let's carry this down to verse 7. And then I said, woe is me, for I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then listen to this. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. And don't you love this? And your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. How wonderful is that? God sends one of these angelic beings with a symbolic act of forgiveness, taking from the altar of incense and touches his lips and pronounces him cleansed. How wonderful is that? So a correct view of God leads us to see him in all of his holiness. And at the same time, we see our lack of personal holiness. His perfection exposes our imperfections and it moves us and we want to be forgiven. So if you might ask the question, why are so few people in our lives concerned about their sin? It seems that we live in a whole culture. Nobody's worried at all about sin. Seems so, sin seems so insignificant. That's because most people don't have an accurate view of who God is. This is very relevant. This is very practical. If you have a, a low view of God, then you'll, you'll care very little about sin. But if you see God for who he is, as God gave Isaiah that glimpse, you think, oh, he's holy. Then what about me? And I'm not holy. And I'm distressed by that. Our response should be to God like Isaiah's. We should have awe before him. And we should be confessing like he did. By the way, this is how you can become a child of God. This is how you can be what the Bible says, born again where you acknowledge, God, you are different than me. You are perfect. I'm not worthy of you. You have to be willing to confess like that. And I have sinned against you, my lips, my mind, my hands, everything. I've sinned against you in a myriad of ways. I'm doomed if you don't give me mercy. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me and to cleanse me. And aren't you glad that God's inclined to do that? It was his idea to send his son, better than even sending an angel with a symbolic act of forgiveness, God knew all along he was going to send his son who lived a perfect life and poured out his blood on a cross so that our sins could be atoned for. And he was raised from the dead. God wants to forgive us. This holy, infinitely holy God knows our sin and he steps toward us to provide forgiveness. This is stunning. It's our move. And by the way, Christian, as you come to know the Lord as your savior, that's not the end of that. If you're going to walk with him and we're commanded to walk with him, we have to walk with him in the light. Remember in 1 John 1, it says, God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. And he goes on to say, if you say you know him and you walk in the darkness, you lie. You're not practicing the truth. So this is how a believer walks. God, you've cleansed me of all my sin. I want to now walk with you in the light. I'm going to need your strength to do that because we're, we're foolish and we're weak. But God, by your spirit, I want to walk with you in holiness. This also is echoed throughout the Bible. Leviticus 19.2, which is also quoted in 1 Peter 1.16, says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. You should be holy because I'm holy, God says. 
Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Or Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And so God is holy. God can make you and me holy. And he enables us by his spirit to walk in holiness. But see again with me, this is all God's initiative. It was God's idea to do this for Isaiah, to reveal his glory, to expose his sin, and to forgive his sin. And God's doing the same thing in your life this morning. Maybe you've known about God your whole life, but you've not really known him personally. Maybe you've been content to walk in the darkness. You just don't want anybody to know about it, but you've loved the darkness. But God has orchestrated this day just for you. It's not an accident that you're sitting in this room during a quarantine or during COVID-19. This is God orchestrating that, that you would hear this message on Isaiah 6, that you might see God for who he is, and you might respond like Isaiah and be cleansed like Isaiah by putting your faith in Jesus. Then one more point here, and it's this. Isaiah then responds to God's call. This is verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. That's quite a reversal. Just in a few verses, just a second ago, Isaiah was saying, woe is me, I'm ruined, I'm doomed, I'm a sinner. Now God says to this cleansed man, who will go for us? Who, who will go for us? And he says, here am I, send me. Don't you love this? That God uses forgiven sinners like us. God didn't turn to those spectacular seraphim and say, hey, one of you, one of you beautiful beings, which one of you is going to go for us? He didn't turn to them. He turns to the man who indeed was a man of unclean lips, whom he pardoned and forgiven, says, who's going to go for us? And I, don't, don't you love Isaiah's response? I'll go. Here am I. Send me. I love that. No hesitation, complete surrender. Now, this is really fairly unique in the Bible because typically when God called people, they hesitated. Think about Moses with me. He hesitated. Jeremiah hesitated. I, I'm, not, I'm not old enough. I'm too young for this. How about Jonah? He didn't just hesitate. He took off in the opposite direction. I'm not doing that. But here's Isaiah just a moment ago, undone in his sin, but now cleansed. And when God says, who's going to go for us? Here I am, send me. Listen, that, that's a right glimpse of God when you understand how awesome and great and holy and powerful and tender to forgive you. When he calls you to do something, that's the right response. Isaiah models the right response. Absolutely, I'll do it. I love this too. God didn't even tell him what he's supposed to do. He didn't even tell him where I'm going to send you. Before any of the details were in place, who's going to go for us? Isaiah, here I am. Send me. There's nobody greater than you. There's, there can't be any mission greater than whatever you have in mind for me. I'm on board. I'm going to go in your direction. So listen, genuine worship leads us to a total life response. A full glimpse of God in worship should lead us all to repentance and cleansing. Aren't you glad he's inclined to forgive if you trust in Jesus? And his full understanding of God and his holiness and greatness fuels our faithful service to him. So let me ask in closing this, are you seeing God for who he really is? And then secondly, are you giving a whole life response to God? Nothing else will be worthy of God, but a whole life response to him.
So the invitation is to respond like Isaiah. God wants to forgive your sins. Would you ask him? Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned against you. I know now that Jesus died on the cross for me, the greatest sacrifice ever because you love me, and I'm now going to respond with my whole life. I want you to forgive all my sins. I present myself to you, Lord. I want you to lead my life like you led Isaiah's life. I give myself over to you. Here's the beautiful thing. When you trust in Jesus, the Bible says you become a saint. And that word literally means holy one. Isn't that amazing? Sinners like us, all of us, who've sinned thousands, millions of times. We're all guilty before God. But when you trust in Jesus and what he did by giving his blood on the cross, when you trust in him, your sin is taken away. You are made clean. And God then regards you as a holy one, one that he made holy by what he did for you. Well, if you're ready to respond to this, we won't have you come forward. But afterwards, we'll do this six feet apart. But we'll talk about you coming to know Jesus and following in baptism and all that. We'd love to talk to you about that. But right now, I'm going to invite Pastor Tommy to come and close out our worship in prayer. Uh, it's good for you to see Tommy. Typically, in the, in the weeks up to this, he's been behind the table helping us do this. And uh, it's good to have Tommy uh, lead us in prayer today as we wrap up our worship time. Tommy?